0: Welcome to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. Before we launch into our very informative episode today, please remember, subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any of the super cool topics that are coming up. I'm going to talk about the notes process, how to address notes that you get even when they're really crazy and seemingly insane, world building. We're going to talk about the rewrite process. We're going to do another really cool breakdown series that I'm excited about. So a bunch of fun stuff is coming up. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Also, if you'd like to suggest any topics for us or you have any questions for Josh or myself, please feel free to reach out to us at act 2 writersgmailcom at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram at act 2 writers You can also heckle me if you want. I'm on Instagram at StoryThursday and on Twitter at Tasha3.0. I'm
1: also on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram. It's just my name.
0: Way less creative.
1: (laughs) Yeah, way less creative. Tasha, we've been eating a lot of Twizzlers. And today, today we're talking about Pixar. We're talking about the 22 rules of storytelling from Pixar, which circulated uh, years and years ago. It was done uh, from this woman on Twitter, and I know you have her name, and I know that I don't have her name in front of me, so I'm going to let you get the name.
0: Emma Coates, she is a Pixar storyboard artist, and she tweeted out a bunch of sort of narrative wisdom, as she called it um from just working over the years at Pixar and just some of the sort of tidbits that she took away on how to create the best story and as we know Pixar creates some of the best stories so you you got to learn from the masters.
1: Yeah. So I think it's important to revisit this and kind of go through it again and talk about it and you know just not forget it. Not let this these brilliant rules of storytelling just disappear on us.
0: And I think Josh probably thinks we're just going to go through the list but he's sorely mistaken because no. we all know me. <laughs> and I'm gonna want to talk about like oh, one. Oh, this is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I. I. We're gonna. Yeah. I, I already know some. I have some tactics to push us forward already.
0: I appreciate it. So yeah, it, <laughs> Emma posted this list of 22 you know, storytelling kind of go-to rules. I guess to think about.
1: Okay, why don't we just jump into them? Go. Oh, so we're just I'm gonna start. <laughs> Usually you do all the heavy lifting. Okay. Rule number one. You admire a character for trying more than for their successes. Wait, did I read that right?
0: Yeah. You admire a character for trying more than you admire <laughs> it. For their successes.
1: Oh, this is gonna be great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Too too many many twizzlers, too much of a sugar high, something.
1: <laughs> God.
0: All right. So I was gonna ask what does that mean to you, but I think it, your answer is nothing. It means nothing to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you why don't you tell me what it means to you and then we'll see what it means to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> why do I feel like you're cheating on my test? <laughs> Um, <laughs> this this is actually advice that I see a lot. Uh, Aaron Sorkin spouts this as well. Um, that it's definitely a characteristic of a lot of his characters that he writes, where you, know, I personally do this. I'm sure a lot of you out there do as well. You have a tendency to write your characters to win, <laughs> because that seems like that's what a hero would do. They they win. They succeed against obstacles that are thrown at them, and even if it's just a street fight somewhere in the middle of Act Two you may write them like throwing the last punch or having the last line or something clever like that.
1: Yeah,
0: It's hard to write your hero at the end of a street fight just knocked out of, in the dirt, in the gutter, right? Like you, you love them and you want them to seem like a hero, but in some cases resist that urge because if you let your hero take a beating and wake up having lost and having to tend to their wounds, that can be more empathetic than someone who just is clever and wins all the time. You know, they they say in life, of course, that if you if you hit rock bottom, that's when you start to make changes. I think that idea is part of this whole, you know, it's nice to see your character trying rather than always winning. I think we all love an underdog story.
1: That's what I was going to say. The underdog story. That's Which is a huge I'll... Pixar thing, right? Yeah, totally. It really is a huge Pixar thing.
0: Yeah. And, and, and we can track this through some of their stories. And I think we're going to use examples of these different 22 rules with the actual movies that Pixar did. So like Finding Nemo, for example. And that whole movie, it's about Marlin trying to get across the ocean to his son, and he fails a lot. And that's part of what makes that story so fun, is he is failing and growing because of his failures. And I think you really admire Merlin for all, Marlin for all the things that he's doing, because he's just trying to get to his son, even though it's a very ugly, messy journey, right? Mm -hmm. Inside Out is another great example of this, where the entire movie is really defined by Joy's failures. Yeah. And just when something seems like it's going to be successful, it becomes another failure. Like, I think about um, a great example of this being when they're like, oh, let's take a shortcut to the train of thought, and they're nearly wiped out in that room of abstract thought. <laughs> so it seems like they're going to succeed and then they fail again. So, so mm-hmm. that's what this number one rule is talking about.
1: Boom. Read number two. Oh, you're still on number one. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my tactics aren't going to work.
0: <laughs> we can move on. It's all right. No, one more thing. Yeah. I was going to say that my tendency to write characters who succeed all the time versus characters who are trying and failing comes from my fear that people are going to dislike my character if they aren't cool or if they aren't heroic. And I think Mm -hmm. you got to challenge yourself when you think that way, because what we're actually going to like about your character is we empathize with their emotions that are very relatable. And trying against all odds is something that's very relatable and easy to empathize with. There, I'm done with number one.
1: Well, no, I'm actually going to add one more thing to that. No, moving on. (laughs) uh, Moving on to number two.
0: (laughs) No, what are you going to add?
1: I was going to add that you've seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, right? Yes. So the Jason Siegel character is like down and out he's like an alcoholic he's fucking up the entire time he's just crying he's hearing his girlfriend or ex-wife or whatever fiance like having sex in the next room and i feel like that's a perfect example of what we're kind of talking about right he's trying to get over everything and the reason i bring this up is because i think there weren't really many like rom-coms like that like usually what you're talking about is that there's usually a very successful character and they're like Mm. always trying and it's more of like the typical rom-com where like just goofy things are happening then Sarah Marshall came along and you see this guy just weeping and it's so relatable and he's an underdog and freaking we're moving on to rule number two Tasha you're reading it
0: that's a great example number two you got to keep in mind what's interesting to you as an audience not what's fun to do as a writer they can be very different
1: I, this one honestly did kind of like uh, like I couldn't wrap my head around this so well. I was kind of struggling to kind of figure out what this meant. And I'm hoping you can explain it
0: well, it's interesting because when I first read it, because the the last line says they can be v dot different. When I first read that, I thought it said this can be very different. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. sorry, very difficult. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought she was trying to say this could be very difficult because it is one of the more difficult things that I feel like. I deal with is sometimes when we're writers, we get stuck on an idea and it's usually a very cool idea. And the world would definitely be blessed beyond measure if it saw or heard our brilliant idea. But at the end of the day, like a two minute monologue from your character, while you may be the the best dialogue writer of all time, I feel like you got to check yourself on things like that. Things that you think as a writer are just going to be super cool and you're so clever and people will be blessed to hear you. That's when you got to kind of put a different hat on and be like, are people going to care about a two minute monologue that my character is giving or do I just think it's cool? And 100% of the time when I have monologues, because I love to hear myself talk in dialogue as well. So I'm definitely (laughs) a victim of this. (laughs) But 100% of the time I can go back and trim it and make my character actually seem smarter and get their idea across faster and cleaner. So that is what I think this means is stay away from trying to overwrite things and try to think about what's best for the audience's experience.
1: That makes sense to me now.
0: All right. Do you feel like there are any times where the writer and you got away with the script and you just started writing what you wanted to versus what maybe was best for the story or best for the audience?
1: Well, this is kind of complicated because a lot of times... I don't know. I'm sure. Yes. The answer to that is yes. I don't even know anymore.
0: (laughs) I remember I wrote this huge one shot once. It was the coolest one shot ever. (laughs) And and yes, the world would be blessed if they saw it. And then Uh we had to take it out because it just was not going to work with production. It was just going to make everything way too expensive. And you know i was challenged to come up with another way to be cool and fun in this in this moment without having to do something so expensive and while that's slightly different because that's that's talking about budget and production it's a similar kind of editing of yourself to get get the writer out of the way and get what's practical in there
1: yeah so i'm really excited about this next rule this is okay. like the reason i wanted to do this is just so we're done you. after this
0: you're going to just sign yeah. off
1: there's there's three <laughs> rules of pixar okay trying for theme is important but you won't see what the story is actually about until you're at the end now rewrite all right tasha do you like this this one
0: because it's like a dig at me
1: (laughs) so because
0: i love theme
1: it's not a it's not a dig it's just i know how much you love theme and it's like we got to figure it out before you write you do you figure it out after you write like this sounds like it's saying hey you're not really going to know your theme until you're done with your script. So I want you to tell Emily why she's wrong.
0: <laughs> well, her name is Emma. First of all,
1: uh, <laughs> I want you to.
0: <laughs> but se- second of all, I could, I, I, I knew this was coming. So my answer is yes and no to this Pixar rule, because I think you have to know what you're at least writing for, what you're writing towards. But also 100% allow for that theme to change and grow and become something else. Like, Finding Nemo. I I don't know the backstory to this movie. I apologize. But presumably, it was like, we want to do a father loses his son and has to go find his son story. They may not have had all those sub-themes involved. Like, little baby Nemo like learning how to come into his own and find his own courage and strength. May not have fully come into the theme of Marlin learning to let go of his son and be stronger, but they knew like generally what they were writing towards. A father has lost his son and will sacrifice everything to get him. So that's a theme. And it changes and morphs over time the more you write and develop out these characters. But at least you're writing towards something. And I I mean, I challenge anyone to just start writing a script without knowing what it's about. You're not going to get very far. I agree. So that's my cheat answer of yes and no.
1: No, 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 no. I think you're right because, I mean, just yesterday I was having a conversation with someone, I'm writing uh, something with someone, and we were like, well, what's this about? And we talked about theme for a really long time. And that's like your North Star in terms of where your story's going. You have to have that there. It's what your characters stand for. It kind of dictates a lot of character motivation. So I think when Emma comes on the podcast, we're going to have to ask her what's up.
0: Well, and what part of the writing process were you at when you were having that conversation about theme?
1: I mean, this is like ground, ground level. We haven't even started to outline yet. We're just kind of like spitballing ideas and talking about character. I mean, this is as early as it gets.
0: Yeah. And another version of that story is I was working on something with um, someone else and he knew the theme of his whole story going in he had he had it all outlined and had written a bunch of it already he knew what he was writing towards but the more we talked about it and the more we really dug deeper into the story that he was going to tell that theme that overarching theme remained similar but Mm -hmm. it morphed in so many better ways because as we were writing we discovered new things. So I think that's what I mean. Like you have to know at least at first on the ground level, what you're writing towards, but allow it to change over time.
1: Yeah. I like that. Wow. We're cruising. We're in rule number four right now.
0: Once upon a time there was blank. Every day, blank. One day, blank. Because of that, blank. Because of that, blank. Until finally, blank. Blank.
1: That's rule number four. I thought maybe it would be fun to do this with Back to the Future. Do it. Okay. So once once upon a time, there was Marty. Every day, Marty went to school. One day, Doc Brown told Marty that he had a time machine. Because of that, Marty traveled back in time. Because of that, Marty altered his past and needed to get his parents back together until finally Marty did it what's the until finally
0: because <laughs> i think it's because of that his parents never met or never fell in love until finally he got them to fall in love
1: again i just want to clarify i didn't i didn't i didn't write that out okay let's just be very clear that was Who's,
0: no one's saying anything
1: <laughs> listen all right <laughs> So this rule is essentially just talking about, it sounds like obstacles, right? It's just like shaking things up and then adding obstacles to your character's life.
0: Yeah, it's making sure, and we've talked about this before, it's making sure your story isn't, then this happens, and this happens, and this happens. But rather, it's your story is caused by stuff that's happening to your characters, not just stuff happens. So once upon a time, there was a toy cowboy. And every day, he'd play with Andy, his human. One day, Andy got a new toy. And because of that, the Toy Cowboy was no longer Andy's best favorite toy. And then because of that, the Toy Cowboy tries to kill the new toy and then gets separated from his family. Until finally, he has to work together with this new toy to get back to his family. So the point is, is you're setting up who your character is from the beginning.
1: Hang on. Why did you let me do the Back to the Future thing (laughs) if you already had one written out?
0: (laughs) Because it's Back to the Future and it deserves a number four Pixar pass. Okay. So I think the beauty of this little number four rule (laughs) is that it's forcing you to come up with your character's status quo. So you got a toy cowboy who plays with Andy every day. But something happens in your story that completely changes that status quo. And because of that change, your character now has to do something different. And your story now begins. So it's forcing you to come up with cause and effect, essentially. Which is perfect for Back to the Future. If you haven't listened to our Back to the Future episode, it's all about cause and effect.
1: And if you haven't seen Back to the Future, then just stop listening to the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you for letting me have my moment. (laughs) It was beautiful. (laughs) Okay. This next rule. I love this next rule. You ready? Rule number five. Simplify, focus, combine characters, hop over detours. You'll feel like you're losing valuable stuff, but it will set you free. I freaking love it.
0: I feel like all you need is this rule. (laughs) Now that I'm looking at it.
1: (laughs) So often, I feel like this honestly happens, at least to me, almost in everything that I write, where – you know, you get notes on things and you don't want to change certain parts of your script. And you're like, no, this can't change for whatever reason. You're justifying all these reasons in your head. Or it's like, hey, combine these characters. And you don't want to do it because you like both characters. And then you try it and it makes your script better.
0: 100%. And it does set you free. You feel so much better. And you're like, why didn't I do this to begin with? Or why didn't I think of this to begin with? But don't beat yourself up. I think you have to go through having, you know, too many characters to realizing you actually need two characters um you, you just need to do that work that's part of what writing is and i think we talk a lot about the cutting room floor with directors but you know mm-hmm. directors get the chance of like having a director's cut and sadly writers it's more painful because no one really gets to see our writer's cut of our movie um but guaranteed all your favorite movies were a lot longer, a lot messier, probably had more characters that they had to cut out. And they found a way to combine things and simplify. And actually simplifying is probably one of the biggest notes I get as someone who works in building big worlds. You know, I I work in fantasy and sci-fi and action adventure. And there's usually a lot of mythology and rules that I have to set up. And I'm kind of a kitchen sink writer. So I put everything in... And my revision process is to kind of pare back until I get to the essence of my story. And so simplifying is definitely note I get a lot. And it's so important to pay attention to because it yeah. means that something's overcomplicated. People aren't understanding things. Um, it's too busy and you're just going in a bunch of different directions. This means you haven't found the core of your story.
1: It's also a good rule for life. It is. Pixar.
0: Number six, what is your character good at, comfortable with, and then throw the polar opposite at them, challenge them, and how do they deal with it? So I think we already discussed how good Pixar is at doing that, right? Taking a toy cowboy who's comfortable in his status quo and throwing a new toy into the mix that just wreaks havoc in poor Woody's life. Um, yeah. I personally love starting my characters in one place and knowing I'm going to end them in the completely opposite place. And so I think this rule number six is a good reminder to do that, that you have to challenge your characters by throwing the polar opposite of what they're good at at them. Yeah. And I think Finding Nemo it's- is probably the best example of that version because Marlin is totally comfortable with, like, staying safe, staying home. That's his status yeah. quo. And what do they do? They throw the polar opposite at him, and they make him go into the unsafe ocean, and they completely take away his
1: home. Oh, that's great. And this is also, it also forces you to really know who your character is. It's almost easier said than done. I really feel like that. Hundred, like when these are
0: all easier <laughs> said than done. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I feel like... I think that's important to say because whenever I read Pixar's storytelling guidelines or I watch a video of Pete Doctor talking about storytelling, I'm like, wow, it sounds so easy. How come I can't do that? Or how come I struggle yeah. with it? I'm so such a moron, I'll never be good at this. But it's coming off effortless to them. And please know that even though I don't know them, I know that they're struggling every day with their scripts that they're writing and with these same
1: guidelines. So rule number seven? Yeah. Before I read rule number seven, could you excuse me for 10 seconds while I go and massacre a spider that's crawling over my shoulder? (laughs) And I'm back away from me all right all right rule number seven come up with your ending before you figure out your middle seriously endings are hard get yours working up front do you do this uh not consciously like not actively
0: Hmm.
1: i don't really think about that do you
0: not actively Definitely not actively. I mean, like I said before, I generally know where I want my character to kind of be at the end or what their character growth is by the end of the movie vaguely so that I know what I'm writing to. Again, if you come up with a theme early on, you know what you're kind of writing to. But coming up with my actual ending, it changes per project, like in terms of what I know going into it. I think I usually have a general beginning and an ending in mind when I start writing but definitely not always. Sometimes it's very, very general.
1: I could see the benefit of this.
0: Absolutely. Not only are you able to write towards something, but um, I think you could, it could also dictate what story you're going to tell. If I don't know my ending, I will often kind of take a look at what my beginning is. Because sometimes the only thing you know about your story is the opener. And it's like a badass opener. And all you know is you yeah. want to explore that character. But before I actually start writing the script about that awesome opener, I will have to think to myself, okay, but where is that awesome character going to be by the end of my movie? And because I usually don't know what my middle is, I will then use that ending that I conjure up to kind of reverse engineer where my story needs to go. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I know my character gets revenge... For being wronged at the end of my movie. I have to then figure out how she was wronged. And that's that becomes my movie. So I get that this is a great way to start thinking about your story. But it doesn't necessarily come at me this hard and fast. Like, oh, I have to know what my ending is. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the interesting thing about this now, the more that I'm thinking about it, I'm really bang into it. I think what number seven is actually trying to say is more like... Yeah, always write towards something. Like you're not gonna go out on a hike and not know where the end of the hike goes. You're not just gonna walk forever until you just wander upon an exit, right? If you go in on a hike, you're probably gonna look at a map, you're gonna look where oh. the, the end and exit is. And I feel like that's generally what this note is about. Just have a general sense of your story before going in. Do you go on hikes with uh, uh huh?
1: yeah, that's called an adventure. That's
0: not safe. <laughs> that <laughs> actually Sorry. tracks, I feel like, with some of your writing. <laughs>
1: Shit. Well, you know, they're on an adventure. Who cares where they're going? They'll figure it out.
0: Will they, though? Or will they just get lost in the desert and we'll find their skeleton several months later?
1: Maybe that's the adventure. You never know. Okay, moving on.
0: Number eight. Finish your story. Let go even if it's not perfect. In an ideal world, you have both. But move on. Do better next time
1: this is important.
0: This is a big one. Yeah. There's something in our business called a vomit draft where you just push through your draft and vomit anything that comes to your your brain so that you just have something in front of you to start molding. Mm-hmm. How often would you say you do a vomit draft? Always. Like every draft. Is, every time you start a new project, it's like, yep, vomit draft.
1: Vomit draft. I actually look at the first draft. The Ravama draft as like an outline. Hmm. So I outline, I write a draft, and I know that draft is going to be completely torn apart. So that's kind of that, it, hasn't always been that way, but it, it's that was what I needed to do for myself because I knew that things would always change. And it was, it was really helpful for me to kind of let go of ideas and let go of characters where I was like, you know what? This is an outline. I don't even care about any of this. It can all change, it's all yeah. on the table.
0: Yeah, and I think the reason why this is such a big one is because one of the biggest obstacles that I see facing writers is simply their ability to finish a script. And I think if you can get past that, then you've succeeded more than most people who are trying to be writers. So just finishing a script, revise it if you have to, but at least just finish it first and then mm-hmm. you can start working on perfecting it. But there is a sense, and a lot of people, I, I personally had a friend in college who, it was the weirdest thing, he said to me that he wasn't writing because he was afraid it wouldn't be good. I was like, what do you mean? What, like, why don't you just write? It? You have no idea if it's gonna be good until you write it. Like, then judge yourself. But you can't judge yourself yeah. on something that's not even on paper. But that's a very real fear that I've heard from a lot of writers since then. And I think this number eight is a big one for those people to take to heart because we're writers and the only way our career is going to flourish or even begin is if we can write.
1: Yeah, you just have to finish. It's a very big deal to finish a script if you haven't finished one before. When you finish your first script, that feels so good where you're like, I did it. Even every time you finish, a every script, time like, I you know, finish I'm the
0: script, I'm like, "Whoa!" I have to like text you <laughs> and be like, yeah, "I finished." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, go celebrate, Tasha! <laughs> you're amazing." Yeah,
1: I know. That's exactly how it is when you finish a script. You're like, "Yes," this, even though it, like, even though you know it's all gonna change, you're yeah. gonna get notes. It's gonna whatever, but yeah, just finish.
0: Just finish. You just
1: have to power through. Yeah. Always.
0: If the Pixar people can do it,
1: you can do it. All right. Number nine. When you're stuck, make a list of what wouldn't happen next. Lots of times, the material to get you unstuck will show up.
0: I think that's fantastic. And I've never done that before. (laughs) But I love this idea and we'll start to use it from now on.
1: I agree. I've never done it and I could see how it would be really, really helpful.
0: Yeah. The biggest thing when you come up to a wall is that it feels like an actual wall like you just can't get past it and so you just stop writing but this rule is telling you no just like keep writing even if it's shit like write stuff that wouldn't happen because eventually just the act of writing will get you to it and i know that maybe doesn't sound logically true <laughs> but it yeah. somehow
1: works yeah it seems like god why don't I, i'm actually wondering why i've never done this before
0: I've made a list of things that could happen next and it's all just a bullet pointed list of like potential things. But to make a list of what would not happen next is a whole other way of thinking about it that is very cool.
1: I'm assuming she means like things that are somewhat reasonable. Like if you're writing um, you know, Western, I'm sure she doesn't mean like what wouldn't happen next. An alien falls from space. You know, like things that are just so completely crazy. Wow, there was cowboys and aliens. There was. Mind. But yeah, I, I, I on guess that, that movie. is possible. But you worked on that movie. Yeah. Wow.
0: Moving on. All right. Uh... <laughs> Moving on.
1: All right. Next rule.
0: Number ten: Pull apart the stories you like. What you like in them is a part of you. You've got to recognize it before you can use it. I think it's obvious mm-hmm. that you and I love this advice because we do our breakdown series where we want to mm-hmm. tear apart movies that we love. Uh, Even bad movies, just to understand how they're ticking and how we could potentially use those masterful tricks for our own devices, (laughs) basically. And even just doing our breakdown series, I told Josh this earlier today, I used some of the things that we thought about in that breakdown series or discovered in that breakdown series of Back to the Future I've used it like a dozen times since then in my own work. <laughs> and it's only benefited the stuff that I'm working on. It's great. I love it. Wow. Back to the future, changing my life yeah, yeah. yet again.
1: <laughs> yeah, always. It's never, never ends. But yeah, this is – and this – you know, everyone says this, you know, read scripts or like watch a movie and then read the script while you're watching a movie of things that you really enjoy. I feel like this rule is pretty self-explanatory.
0: It is, but it kind of isn't too at the same time because I feel like – It's less just watch a bunch of movies. For me, I can watch a bunch of movies all day and I'll learn kind of a little bit, but it's breaking them down and Mm -hmm. trying to really take them apart like you would watch that to me is where I learned the most because maybe that's just how my brain works. Like in college, one of the best classes I took was we watched the same movie over and over again, but we were told to pay attention to different things every time we watched it. So in one class, it would be just... Just listen to the music. Just listen to the sound design. Now just listen to dialogue. And it really forces you to hone in on the tricks of the trade. And I think that's that's the, the meat of number 10.
1: All right. Rule number 11. Putting it on paper lets you start fixing it. If it stays in your head, a perfect idea, you'll never share it with anyone.
0: This feels similar to the earlier.
1: Yeah, it sounds like rule number eight.
0: Yeah, it's the same thing as finish your script.
1: Just finish that shit. Get your stuff out there and don't let it live in your head.
0: Yeah. I think sometimes too, interestingly, I will write scenes. I'm thinking in particular about working with a producer on a script that we're both very familiar with. And I'm trying to puzzle out a certain section of the script that's just not working. Rather than just stare at it for the longest time, I'll write a version of it. Send it to her. And be like, hey, what do you think? And we'll kind of workshop just one scene. Because at least I've written this scene and it's something tangible for us to talk about. And I think that rule applies to the whole. Absolutely. Number 12. Discount the first thing that comes to mind. And the second, third, fourth, fifth. Get the obvious out of the way. Surprise yourself.
1: I really like this rule. But to me, this is like the most difficult thing to do when you're Mm. writing when you're writing a character that's smarter than you or you're writing a character that has a trade that you know nothing about and you have to educate yourself. But even mm-hmm. then, there's still things that you miss. So in your head, you're writing, you think, okay, this is my third or fourth idea and this must be great. But then to someone else, it might be completely obvious. This is a very hard rule.
0: It is a hard rule. It's, And sometimes your first idea stays until the final draft. This is not a hard and fast rule, but I think it, it works if you're hitting a wall. Like today I got really upset because I was hitting a wall with the rules of my mythology for something I'm writing right now. And my boyfriend walked in and he was like, whoa, are you okay? Because I was just kind of staring in like a horror movie kind of way at the whiteboard, (laughs) like looking really angry and upset. And. I thought about this note and the one about like making a list of all the things that wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. So those two notes together. And I just was like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to start making a list. Even if it's not right, at least I'm getting the bad ideas out of the way. And
1: wait, did you say a list of things that wouldn't happen?
0: Yeah. Like I combined this number 12 with the other guideline of like creating the list of wrong things. And just writing it down on the board immediately cleared a path. And the things I weren't quite sure were going to work, even though I wrote them down, I would put like a question mark at it or put them in parentheses because that for me in my brain, it tells me like, okay, I'm not married to this idea, but there it is on the board. And I was able to go back to my computer and like write an entire page of what this mythology is. So now I have a framework it might change later, but at least I I got past that wall. So this step really does help, I think.
1: Yeah. I feel like this essentially is, I mean, it does say surprise yourself, but I guess the way I look at it is like push yourself, like mm-hmm. get beyond your comfort zone and figure out exactly or figure out more than what you normally play in. Like get out of that shit. Do what you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. Rule number 13: give your characters opinions. Passive, malleable. Might seem likable to you as you write, but it's poison to the audience.
0: I see this a lot in writing. I feel like Aaron Sorkin has a quote that I think about every now and again, where it's something like, don't tell me who your character is, show me. And show me by showing me what they like and dislike. He has another quote that he says, anytime you get two people in a room who disagree about anything even if it's the time of day, there is a scene to be written there, which you would know because you took improv. Wasn't that like the whole thing you did was like come in with a disagreement?
1: Yes. You always have to be opposing.
0: Yeah, it creates drama. Yeah. I think, and also the earliest you can show your character's point of view of the world and give them an opinion on something, the better you are able to establish your character. Um, For example, Mm -hmm. Your character is rushing to work. And in the first five minutes of your movie, she bumps into a kid and knocks the kid down. Does your protagonist shout profanities at the kid? Do they smile and help the kid up? Do they deliberately ignore the kid? Does she step on the kid? Like whatever her reaction is, whatever opinion she has of that moment is going to tell us a myriad of things about your character that telling us will not do. It's interesting. There's... One thing in one of my pilots right now where my character wants nothing more than to just run away. Like the country is about to explode into war and she wants no part of it. She just wants out of the country. And from day one, I've persistently gotten this note that that's not sympathetic to have a character who wants to run away. It's too difficult to write in a way that makes you like them because it doesn't seem like they care about anything. It makes her feel Mm -hmm. passive. And while I understand that note in some ways, I think the note is that it's difficult to support a hero who's not technically doing anything but running. But I disagree with that note and I have pushed back against it since day one because I think the point is not for you to find the hero likable. The point is for you to empathize with her fear with her desire to get away from where she's been because she's a soldier who has seen enough of war. And I don't think you need to see her talk about it. But the point is you, you see what she believes in and you see her opinions about the world simply in the way she reacts and in the choices she makes. And it turns out at the end of the day, I happen to be right in this case because everyone loves this character.
1: I totally see where they're coming from too, by the way.
0: Yeah, 100%. And there's something underneath that note that I've also addressed. Like, you don't want your character to feel like they're doing nothing. I actually uh, read a script just last night from a friend of mine. And he said he deliberately avoided giving his main character a drive because he felt like part of the point of the character was that he had no drive. And that was kind of the point he was trying to make with the character, which I get but the result that that had on the story was that the story had no drive and that this character was just kind of meandering without purpose. And it kind of made me think of like, okay, if that's the point he wants to make, how do we work within what he wants, but still help this movie feel like it has a drive. And I started to think of people in my own life who I feel are meandering through life without drive. But if you look at it closer, they still go places for deliberate reasons, right? They, They go someplace to get away from their nagging mother. They go to work because they're afraid of letting down their boss, who's like a surrogate father to them. Or they go to their buddy's house to get high to forget their problems. The point being, they're still making choices very actively for very real and relatable reasons. Even though it seems like they're passive, they're not actually passive because there's emotional reasons for what they're doing. And I think in this case, that's what this writer was missing, was in his attempt to make it feel like his character had no drive, he was taking away the emotional drive that still needs to be there.
1: Mm -hmm. All
0: right, number 14, why must you tell this story? What's the belief burning within you that your story feeds off of?
1: I actually think this rule kind of ties into the theme rule from a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I think that when you write a story, you have to have a point of view. You have to be able to say, why me? Why am I writing this story? What qualifies me to tell this story?
0: Yep. I was gonna say it's interesting because every time you go into a pitch, this is always what's at the top of your pitch, right? Like, why am I the writer for this job versus the ten other writers that you're going to be talking to tomorrow? And yeah. you, if you have to do that for a pitch, like you should definitely be doing it for your own stuff. And and again, our breakdown series, we actually talk about this too, where in lethal weapon, Shane Black really wanted to tell a story about what a Frankenstein character, someone who's misunderstood and hated and, and, and you know, feared, um, what happens when he's the guy you have to rely on at the end of the movie to solve your problem. And yeah. as much as that movie changed over time, that thread, that core stayed the same. We talked about in Back to the Future, too, right, where Bob Gale wanted to know what his parents were like when they were teens. So I wrote back to the future to kind of explore that idea. So mm-hmm. having a core I think is incredibly important. It's one of the first things I ask people when I read a script is well why did you want to write this? And if they're like, "Hmm, you know, I don't I don't really know." I'm like, "Well, then <laughs> then maybe you should either find something you're more passionate about because it's coming through in your script or we we got to get closer to that." And I think from a producer's point of view too, when Because they will ask these questions of you every time you're in a room, in a general, whatever you're doing to try to get a job. They'll have read your script and said, well, what made you come up with this idea? And a lot of writers will do the whole like, oh, I don't really know. It was, I just thought of it one day and it was cool. And that immediately flags to the producer that they don't want to work with you. <laughs> and I yeah. say that from having talked to producers who have told me that. where they're like, well, why do I want to work with a writer who doesn't seem to have purpose or a voice? So this is a really, really important important rule. And I think just to tell another story, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but I thought about in this rule, another script I read recently about, it's about this kid whose mom was a kind of like time cop, where she kind of traveled to parallel universes to arrest bad guys. And then she'd bring them back to earth to her headquarters. And like, no one else could see these bad guys from other universes. So everyone thought that mom was just crazy. Until the end of the pilot when the daughter finally realizes, oh, no, my mom's actually a secret badass, which is kind of a cute story. It's kind of whatever. I feel like, you know, any of us could have come up with that idea. But in talking to the writer, she said that she wrote it because her mother is schizophrenic and her mother would talk to people that no one else could see. And so she wanted to write a story where she turned what other people saw as a sickness into something really awesome. Into into, some, into what she saw her mom as being. So on the surface, it's just a mother-daughter superhero show. But there's very clearly a distinct voice when you read it. And a kind of realness that comes through. Because this person had a very personal place where her story was coming from. And I think we we, we kept talking today about voice. And I think this is really where it comes in from. Is if you have a core of why... You and only you can write this. It will come through in the script and really set you apart.
1: Yeah, I'm in. I agree with that. <laughs> totally. I, I think what you just said about time time cop mom, which would be awesome by the way, <laughs> yeah. is, uh, I, uh, is like you can have those kind of big ideas, where you're like, oh, this would be cool. But as long as you just kind of put your own personal experiences in that cool idea, then you're golden. Yeah. Because you're inevitably going to figure out some kind of like cool mashup where you're like, oh my God, this meets this. That sounds amazing. This would be a great movie. I could just see it. That could sell, whatever. But the characters need to have some kind of, you know, tie back to you.
0: Yeah. I remember a, a friend of mine years ago, we were having coffee in Los Angeles and I asked her what she was working on and she like kind of looked around the room and she leaned in really close to me and to the point where it was a little uncomfortable and she like whispered to me what she was working on. I was like, why the hell are you (laughs) whispering to me? And she's like, I don't want anyone to steal my idea. And like the thought hit me of, well, then your idea is probably not good enough. If you believe that anyone could just hear the log line of your idea and write what you're going to write, because they shouldn't be able to do that, right? Like she should have her own point of view of this log line that no one else in the world could write.
1: I might push back on that. Hit me. Like what if you were pitching Terminator? And no, like, let's say Terminator has never been done before. You're in a coffee shop and right next to you, like someone, you hear this, this guy, he's like, it's about, you know, this Terminator that comes back from the future to hunt down the guy who's going to lead the resistance. You're like, oh shit, I'm about to steal that idea.
0: And I would push back on that and say, feel free to steal that. There's no way you're going to create the same story I'm going to create with the same log line. In fact, that's actually a great test that we should do in our writers group sometime <laughs> is yeah. to give each other the same log line and see what comes out of it. Because I guarantee you, we're all going to have five different stories with five different emotional hearts to it.
1: Yeah. I'm totally down for that. I I mean, I'm, a, I'm on the same page as you, by the way. I mean, you know that I'll put ideas out. I'll make pitch videos, these things where it's like, Oh, I know I'm the only one who can tell this story the way I want to tell it. Yeah. Be my guest and go ahead Steal it if you want to steal it, but it's not happening. Yeah. But also, please don't steal it. <laughs> All right. Next, next, uh, next rule. Rule number 15. If you were your character in this situation, how would you feel? Honesty lends credibility to the unbelievable situations. Hmm. That's deep.
0: It's making me think of Back to the Future a little bit. It's an unbelievable situation that he'd go back in time and be in 1955 all of a sudden. But Marty acts like a normal human would act. His fear, his confusion, his the mistakes that he makes, all make it feel believable. Yeah. When I see this mistake in scripts from other writers and from my own writing, what I tend to see is that the writer is kind of manhandling their protagonist a little bit so that the protagonist is doing what the writer wants the character to be doing kind of without regard of what the actual character would do which I totally get because you and I have talked about like like Josh I really need to get my protagonist from point A to point B by the midpoint of this movie and I don't know how to do it and I will often get in, get trapped in just trying to write plot just trying to get my character there without thinking wait a second what would my character do in this situation? And how does that actually drive the story forward? So this is yeah. a huge one, even though it seems obvious. Yeah. Number 16. What are the stakes? Give us reason to root for the character. What happens if they don't succeed? Stack the odds against them. I get this note a lot. What are the stakes? Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That surprises me.
0: I feel like talking about this is making me feel like I'm the worst writer of all time. <laughs> no, not
1: at all. I just feel like I usually know the stakes and the things that you're writing.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is another easier said than done, but really, really important. I, I like to think of this as just keep adding complications, digging like the hole deeper and deeper for your character to crawl out of.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think something a trap that we all fall into, or often fall into, is we think when we hear, what are the stakes? Or when we're thinking to ourselves as we're writing, oh, I have to make the stakes really big. We go to, okay, the world has to be ending. And our character has to save the entire world. But that, as you know, is not the premise of every single movie. And yet you still love a lot of movies and feel that they have stakes, even though that's not the stake, the whole world. So find the stakes in your movie they can be really small i mean finding nemo is he's going to lose his son if he doesn't do this and onward it's that he's got one shot to see his dad and if he fails he'll never see him again in toy story it's if he can't find andy and get back to andy he'll be a lost toy and he'll never know love again so in none of those cases is the world ending it's all extremely personal and that's okay Mm -hmm. those are stakes too
1: it's even like uh well, I was thinking of John Wick, how they killed his dog. Yeah. And it was just like action to his wife. That was, it's like they killed his wife again.
0: Yeah. That's perfect example. All right. Number 17. No work is ever wasted. If it's not working, let go and move on. It'll come back around to be useful later. This Great to me rule. Is, I feel like no, this go.
1: has been said sort of. It, it has. Right.
0: I kind of agree. Uh, I guess the only thing I would add that this rule made me think of is do not get depressed if all you've done today is scribble down a bunch of things you know you're going to erase tomorrow. That's still considered
1: work. Agreed. Rule number 18, you have to know yourself. The difference between doing your best and fussing. Story is testing, not refining. To me, this is writing is rewriting.
0: Yeah. And also learning to let go when it's done or realizing that perfection is not the reality the difference between doing your best and fussing know yourself that story is testing yeah I agree with you I'll say one other thing I can't stop myself I'm sorry (laughs) the the part about story is testing not refining I think is interesting because thinking of writing as a test or writing scenes as being like testing something out, I think is really important because we do get in this pattern of thinking like the first draft or, or the draft we give to producers has to be exactly what it's supposed to be. It's the final product. It's the best I could possibly do. And I've since had to learn this very hard lesson, particularly as a perfectionist, that sometimes I will turn in a draft and I will let the producer know like, hey, this one section Like the meet cute between my couple in this rom-com I'm writing, I don't yet have it. And I'm turning it in because I want notes. But I just want to let you know, I don't quite have it yet. It's not quite right. Let's talk about it. I'm just testing out to see if it sticks. And that's totally okay. And actually, if you talk to your producer that way, they will really appreciate it. Because that, to them, tells them that you know what you're doing. That you know that writing is, is, is testing things. So, great note. All right, number 19. We're almost done. Coincidences to get characters into trouble are great. Coincidences to get them out of it are cheating. We've talked about this. I feel like they stole this from Joss Whedon.
1: Or Joss Whedon stole it from them.
0: (gasps) Chicken and the egg. Yeah. That feels self-explanatory.
1: Yeah. It's very important. Don't cheat. Rule number 20. Here's an exercise. Take the building blocks of a movie you dislike. How do you rearrange them into what you do like?
0: We're going to do this in an upcoming breakdown series. And I'm really excited about it. Stay tuned. (laughs) Josh is scared to do this breakdown that we're going to do, but it's going to be amazing.
1: So this is a pretty cool exercise that I've never done, but I might give it a shot. The, The only thing with it is like, the whole idea of like rearranging things my mind wouldn't work like that if i'm like not into something i'd probably be like how do you do this better and then you kind of come up with a different story or what's mm. up with this character you kind of change the character around this makes it kind of to me i read this as like this is like a puzzle piece that you're like moving the story around oh this scene could should be up front rather than over here
0: yeah i'm i'm curious how it's going to work as well i've never quite i've broken down movies i dislike and been judgmental about why I disliked them um, in a way that does, you know, teach me some things, but I've never done it to the same extent as I do movies that I really love. So it will be interesting in our upcoming breakdown series where we're going to watch a movie that Josh and I did not like, but really wanted to. And we're going to talk about kind of where some of the writing failures were and hopefully learn a lot from it. I'm excited about that. Me too. (laughs) Number 21, you got to identify with your situation and characters. You can't just write cool stuff. What would make you act that way? This is a weird tweet. <laughs> a, like The sentence doesn't quite make sense. And it's, I think, a little repetitive of something she said earlier. Yeah. Make your characters realistic is essentially what that is.
1: Yeah. Should we just move on to 22? Do it. Final rule. Rule number 22. What is the essence of your story? What's the most economical telling of it? If you know that, you can build out from there.
0: Also just a rearticulation of have a theme yeah. and simplify. Damn.
1: I was hoping Emma, that was going to Emma, Emma, get
0: on it. <laughs> but I guess it bears yeah. repeating. It bears repeating. Yeah.
1: I guess so. Why so...
0: I, my my question is why did we feel the need to do this at all? But I'm not asking that ironically. <laughs> I mean there there is a good reason
1: I think there's two reasons. For one, I was looking through it, and it was just kind of nice to rehash. Like there, you know, we, there's these rules that no one should follow any set guidelines, but it's just nice to see certain things. I also happen to love Pixar movies, and I haven't seen I haven't read this uh, list of rules in like years. And so to see it again, it was kind of refreshing. Also, on a personal level, there was some shit going on this week. And it was like, hey, you know what? This seems like a really good topic to talk about because it's not its not too crazy.
0: It's happy. It's easy to talk about. It's already laid out in front of us.
1: So now that we've just done this for an entire hour, are you like regretting doing it?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, I think it's really important to – again, the same reason why we break down movies that we love is to see how Pixar – makes the sausage because they yeah. are very good at it in fact a lot of people in our industry hold that as a standard for storytelling and yeah. people will get jobs off of having been somehow adjacent to pixar because we trust without question that those people just know story
1: yeah i mean their track record is like undeniable yeah you know it's it's they're 98% of their movies are really great. They somehow balance the themes that are relatable for adults and somehow they keep it entertaining for kids and they've figured it out. They they have the secret sauce and this girl Emma, woman Emma has put the secret sauce in a series of tweets that were at times repetitive but at other times <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. And do remember that Pixar is a giant brain trust, so it's not just one screenwriter is going through steps 1 through 22 and that's how they're writing perfection. It's it's all of Pixar works together. I mean, Emma is a storyboard artist, right? She's not a writer. Yeah. Um, but she's part of that storytelling process, which I think is helpful for me to hear because screenwriting can feel so isolating. So it's it's good to know we don't have to take this all on ourselves that we should have a writers group people to go to and but yeah, this is great. This gave me a lot to think about and just in having to write about how I think about these things just kind of reminds me to to be better and to be more vigilant in um, those kind of early phases of creating my stories. Yeah. All right. That's it.
1: Okay. I am going to take us out with the quote of the day and the quote of the day actually comes from an Andrew Stanton TED Talk. That's what I think the magic ingredient is. The secret sauce is if you can invoke wonder. Wonder is honest. It's completely innocent and it can't be artificially evoked.
0: Very nice. Please remember to rate and subscribe and follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can follow Josh on Twitter at Joshua Holman and on Instagram at Mm -hmm. Josh Holman. and as always the act two podcast is a production of act two a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter this episode was edited by paul lundquist music by 414 beg which you can find on spotify